0: But I want to launch from the book of Joshua, but let me give you a little bit of context this morning. Uh, Joshua begins with Moses obviously just passing away. Joshua is taking over as the leader of the Israelites and they are conquering the promised land. They cross the Jordan River, they're conquering the promised land. And after miraculously taking the city of Jericho, if you know that story, and then a little bit of a hiccup, but they do finally get Ai, the little town of Ai, uh, the mission to conquer the promised land is starting to gain a bit of momentum, right? It's starting to, to roll They're from victory to victory. They're a bit like Collingwood coming into the final series this year, you know, victory after victory. And even though they weren't necessarily uh, on paper one of the stronger teams, everyone was kind of getting scared of them. That's a bit like what Israel were doing, coming through, conquering everybody. And uh, And so here we are about to move on after the first two battles. But in Joshua chapter 8, Instead of going straight into the next uh, battle against the next people group, this is what Joshua does next. Joshua 8 verse 30, we will read from. It says, Then Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal. He followed the commands that Moses, the Lord's servant, had written in the book of instruction. Make me an altar from stones that are uncut and have not been shaped with iron tools. And theologians tell us that God wanted them to not have to craft this thing out of their own works, but it would be out of the natural stones so that they weren't building perfection for their salvation. or They weren't building out of their own strength, but it was just out of the stones that were in the dirt. They were to build this altar to the Lord. And then on the altar, they presented burnt offerings and peace offerings. Which is interesting because out of all the offerings, these two are the ones that were given out of free will. They weren't ones that were necessarily required by the law. This was a place for a free will offering, and uh, and the Israelites watched as Joshua copied onto the stones the instructions that Moses had given them. The, the message that I want to share with you this morning—it's a question actually—and it's simply this: Where's your altar? where's your altar? Um, in the 1980s there was a Jewish archaeologist, his name was Adam Zertel from the Haifa University and he was commissioned by the Israeli government to do a big survey, a land survey of a large area of land in the West Bank uh, which is now Palestinian controlled and but this was, this was the area around and included Mount Ebel which is where our story is based this morning. Now if you've got uh, the first picture there, guys, it's a bit hard to see there. But this is the valley that they would have walked up. So we're looking east towards the Jordan River. They've come up this valley to the place now known as Shechem. And Mount Ebal was on our left, their right. Mount Gerizim on the, on the other side here. But then you'll see over on the far left there, I don't know if you can see, it's a bit hard, but there's a, there's a, a little dot there on Google Earth saying the Ebal Altar. Now, what you'll find interesting here is this uh, archaeologist, Adam Zertel, he was a non-religious secular Jew who didn't believe in the historical accuracy of Scripture. He didn't believe, that he thought it was just a bunch of old fables from his nation. But after discovering this in the second picky, second picky, here it comes, there it is, bang. He discovered this on the side of Mount Ebal. And it's a massive ancient stone altar made out of uncut stones. And there's a massive campground around it set up with all of the rocks for hundreds of thousands of people to camp around this altar. It's buried under 3,000 years of dirt. But on discovering this site, Zertl quit his mission and spent the next 10 years excavating this place totally changing his life and his view on scripture. Now that's another story for another day, but you can actually read about that. There's a documentary made, it's a story. You can research that on the internet. But here's my point. The scripture tells us that Joshua built this altar. Uh, Modern day archeology span confirms that it's true. They've found it. But the question remains, why did Joshua build this? What was the thinking behind it and what does that mean for us? I think great story Rick, who cares? We're in Australia, 21st century, we're more worried about flooding rivers than we are, you know, stone altars. Uh, what does this mean for us why, and why did he do this? I think this is an important question to ask. In Deuteronomy we find a command from Moses and uh, He gave this to Israel and to Joshua just before he died. We know Moses didn't go into the promised land. He didn't make it. So he gives, in Deuteronomy 27, he gives the Israelites a command. And he says this, he says, Therefore it shall be, when you have crossed over the Jordan, that on Mount Ebal you shall set up these stones which I command you today, and you shall whitewash them with lime. Some translations say you'll plaster them. You'll make them white. Why would you do that? Well, he says... You shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not use an iron tool. You shall build with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. You shall offer peace offerings and eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. And then he goes on to say, write all of the instructions that I've given you on these stones. All of the laws of Israel, put them on these stones. So black writing on white rock, so it would stand out at the center of their camp. And they would be able to, from wherever their family was living at that point, they would see the altar and they would read the instructions of the law. This was the center of their community. And so Joshua, when they get in there, builds this altar. That's what we just read this morning in obedience to what Moses had told him to do. But here's my question, why an altar? Why would you not, when you first move into a new territory, when you're taking land the first thing that you would build would surely be some water infrastructure or, or some, so you'd cultivate some land to begin to grow some food to feed your families and to feed your community or you'd build some houses for shelter or, or something. Why, why would God say do an altar first? Well, I think it's interesting because when you understand what an altar is, it starts to come together. And so an altar... Is a, if, if you don't know what an altar is, it's a really interesting subject to study. An altar was a structure that you would build, the people would build, where you would then bring an animal and sacrifice its life as an offering for your sin. And so an altar is known as a place of death. An altar was a place of sacrifice. And, and, but but it, it sounds gory. It sounds disgusting. It It was. Actually, it was a bloody place. There was mess everywhere at an altar. But here's the thing it wasn't just a place of death, it was actually a place of new beginnings. Yeah, it was a place of redemption. Yeah. See, it was at the altar where, although there was one life that was ending, bah, whoosh, I grew up on the land and we used to eat sheep. I've been part of teams that have done that before. Meh. One life is ending. It's a little tragic. But but another life, which happens to be you, another life that is your family and everyone that you represent, they are being redeemed. They are being set free. They are being Their their, their sins are being atoned for. And so at the altar, you are coming to a place where you are reestablishing your connection with God. You might have had one in the past, but you've been through some stuff and you come back to the altar and you bring an offering as a way to reconnect with your heavenly father. It's a place of new beginnings of the Holy Spirit speaking to you a fresh word of of God starting to unlock the things that maybe have gone dormant in your life. It's at the altar that these things take place. And so when Moses is commanding Joshua, hey, when you get into the promised land, first things first, build an altar. What he's doing is he's giving them a practical way to make sure that when they finally stepped into the promises of God, they wouldn't forget the God of the promise. Uh, I love the promises of God. I love the provision of God. I love all of the things that God has for us in the future, but may we never be a people who forget the God of the promise. This is Moses practically saying, this is what we're going to do, guys. I'm not going to be with you, but do this. Now, Thank God we live under the new covenant. I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore. I don't have to get Betsy the sheep, put a collar around her neck, walk her up the stone altar, push her into the fire. I I don't have to do that anymore to be right with Jesus. Uh, Anybody grateful this morning that you live in the 21st century and uh, you're not stuck under the old covenant, right? Right? Thank you, Jesus. We have Hebrews 10. We know this scripture. Our high priest, Jesus offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for all sin, for good for all time. And by that one offering, he made perfect those who are being made holy. You know, we, we are the people who are being made holy. There's room for grace in there. We are being made holy. But notice that you are already made perfect. You're perfect, but you're being made holy. Oh, I like that. I like that. So, so yeah, we're not lining up with, uh, with sheeps and bulls and knives anymore. But, but even though animal sacrifice is no longer needed, I want to just suggest to you this morning that to be a follower of Jesus, to be a carrier of the kingdom, to be somebody who bears the mark of heaven upon your life, it still requires a death of sorts. Uh, Let's go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross, and they have crucified them there. New covenant. Jesus followers. They have nailed their passions and the desires of their sinful nature to the cross. Matthew 16, Jesus said to his disciples, if you want to come after me, if that's what you want for your life, you don't have to. But if you desire to, if you sense heaven calling you to to follow me and to to, to follow in my ways, uh, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. Don't follow me if you haven't denied yourself and taken up your cross. Follow me is third in that. Chronology, deny yourself, take up your cross and then follow me because if you're following me, And you're not carrying a cross. If there's not a death of sorts in your life, you're going to follow Jesus. But when it starts to get a little bit inconvenient or when things start to go the way that you don't want them to go, the journey will be too burdensome and you won't want to do this anymore. If you see Jesus as the guy who just takes your burdens but does not give you his yoke, there there is responsibilities about being a man or a woman of God, of being a young person growing up in your high school. Hey, there is a burden to being a carrier of the name of Jesus. It's not just all fairy tales and butterflies and miracles. My nickname in high school was Moses. And it was, I hated it. My parents dragged me up through church. I was in a Christian family, but I hated it because I was the only one out of my entire year level that that was a Christian that went to church on Sunday. And so I copped it through the week. In a state school environment, I bore the name of Jesus even though I didn't even want to. And so when they said Moses, it was never said affectionately. It was just the only guy out of the Bible they could think of. And it was thrown at me like mud. Oh, it was a cross that I had to carry. I had to deny myself and own it. Yeah, I go to church on Sunday. (laughs) there's a there's a price to be paid to be a follower of Jesus and it's interesting because even though the practices are different we don't kill the animals any longer the principles remain the same and they're just as powerful they're just as imparting to you you know Jesus calls it dying to self Jesus is our sacrifice, but every sacrifice needs an altar to be laid upon. Every, every uh, thing that Jesus wants to do in your life, every, every moment he wants to take you, every promise he wants to deliver into, it's going to come on the back of your laid down preferences. It's going to come on the back of your, of your laid down opinions it's going to come up on the back of those moments in your life where you have surrendered yourself to God and you've created room for His Word to come alive in you. If you want God to move, you have to create room for God to move. Less of me, more of you. I must become less and less, said John the Baptist, so that he can become more and more, greater and greater. And so here's the thing. If you want the the sacrifice of Jesus to be effective in your life, there must be an altar on which he can be offered. See, see God sent his only begotten son. We know this to be true. Jesus is the sacrifice. God provided himself as the sacrifice, but God won't build your altar. God won't build your altar. See, Moses didn't say to Joshua, oh, Hey, bro, once you get on the other side of the Jordan River, you're going to walk up to Mount Ebal and you're going to find this incredible altar that God had prepared earlier for you. That's not what happened. That's not what happened. God was going to give them the promised land. He was going to give them the entire nation from the north to the south to the east to the west to to the Mediterranean to the Jordan to... God's going to give them the whole land, but He ain't going to build them an altar. You've got to build your own altar, Joshua. It's interesting because altars have been an integral part of faith journeys all the way down through history. Abraham built an altar. Abraham, when when God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, it's interesting. Genesis twenty two, come with me, verse six. Abraham places the wood on the burnt offering for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders, while he himself carried the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. Isaac turns to his dad, and says, "Hey, dad. Uh, so we got some fire here, we got some wood, but where's the sheep?" Where's the sheep for this burnt offering, dad? Uh, God God will provide a sheep, son. God will provide a sheep. But verse nine, I love this. But when they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, God built them an altar. Hang on. Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. See, Abraham had faith that God would provide the sacrifice. But but Abraham never expected God to build the altar. He knew. He knew walking up that hill, I'm going to take the fire. God's going to provide the sacrifice, but the rest's on me. This is a two-way relationship. You know, Elijah, when he calls down fire from Mount Carmel, we, we love the story where Israel is away from God. They're, they're in pagan worship. They're doing all this sort of stuff. And Elijah comes up against the prophets of Baal and he destroys them, right? And, uh, but, but as much as we love this story, I, I love reading into the detail. It's before the miracle comes, before the fire falls from heaven, before revival sweeps the nation of Israel, before all of that happens, 1 Kings 18 chapter 30, then Elijah called the people, Hey! Come over here. And they all crowded around him as he repaired the altar. He repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled the wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces of the bull on the wood that's a lot of work just 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 go through that scripture he rebuilds the altar out of the rocks it's like a big gardening expedition right he's a landscaper the the rocks then he's then he's digging a trench and he's piling the wood on the altar then he's getting the bull and he's cutting the bull into pieces like he's a butcher And then he's putting the pieces of the bull on the wood. Elijah is building an old or rebuilding an old altar because his nation is away from God. And he says, I don't know what we're gonna do to get them back, but God, you gotta show up. God, and he has a prayer meeting. God, you gotta show up. God, you gotta show up. God, come in fire, come in power. Come and move amongst my people, God. I'm, I'm praying, Holy Spirit, come and move in my city. Come and bring people, draw people back to salvation, God. I pray for marriages. I'm praying for people to come back and, and, and give their lives to you again, oh God. But then he's like, I guess I better build an altar too. And he goes back to a place where there used to be the presence of God. He goes back to a place where people used to come, where they used to sacrifice, where they used to get excited about the presence of God. But it's died out. It's, it's happened in a previous season. It's 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 gone dormant. The altar is in ruins that which a previous generation had built and sacrificed for and and given for and and put together and and worshipped around, that has gone into ruin. And Elijah says, for the new generation, I've got to build a new altar. For the the new people in my nation, I'm an old man now. I'm coming to the end of my ministry, but I'm going to build a new altar. I'm going to rebuild the places He says, I'm not okay with where the society has gone. I'm not okay with my people worshipping Baal and the other pagan gods. I'm not okay with this, says Elijah. I'm going to do what I can do. I'm going to build an altar and God's going to turn this situation around. And what happens, we know the story. Elijah prays and it says in verse 38, immediately the fire of God flashed down from heaven Burned up the sacrifice and all, and even the dust, it licked the water out of the trench. I'm like, I'm thinking the fire was like a tongue of fire, like the day of Pentecost. It's licking up the water. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. The Lord is God. Revival sweeps Israel. God shows up in a powerful way. Why? Because Elijah built an altar. Elijah was hungry for the presence of God. So he said, I'm going to do what I can do about it, God. But God, show up on this altar. Show up, Almighty God. Crazy, God does it, right? See, out of God's incredible love for us, out of his complete and absolute respect. For our free will, which was given to humanity in the Garden of Eden, God will never force himself upon you. God will never make you do this. God's a gentleman. He will never come in uninvited. In fact, God is so gracious that if you seek after him, if you look for him, he will allow you to find him. But if you don't want to find him, then God is so gracious that he will keep himself hidden from you. Why would God, why doesn't God just come down here and show himself? Because well, he did, he sent Christ. But why doesn't God force himself and make everybody in the entire world come down and worship? One day Jesus will return. But until that time, God has given us free will. If you want to find Him, ask, seek, knock. The door will be opened to you. Jesus said, You will seek Me and you will find Me when you seek Me with all of your heart. But if you don't want to seek Him with all of your heart, then you don't really want to find Him. And so God is so gracious, God is so loving. God is so respectful of your right to choose what you believe that he will remain hidden from you. See, that's why we must build our own altar. Because the altar is our invitation. The altar is our cry of surrender. We don't build rocks physically anymore. But we still build altars. Paul puts it this way in Romans 12. He says, so then my friends, because of God's great mercy to us, I appeal to you, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to his service and pleasing to him. This is the true worship that you should offer. This is the true worship. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Put your own life on the altar. Build an altar in your heart so that your life is a sacrifice, a sweet-smelling incense to the presence of God in your world. And I think Paul's urging the church, hey, guys, he's writing to, to believers here. He's writing to Gentile believers. He says, Hey, I know you believe. That's great. But don't forget to build an altar. I know you worship. But don't forget to build an altar. Don't forget to offer yourselves. I like your songs. I like your services. I like your ministries. I like the things you do for me, says God. But 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 don't forget. Don't forget to build an altar. Don't forget to make a place of surrender where you don't just do and work for me, but you lay your life down before me. Oh, this is not an issue of the hands. This is an issue of the heart. This is not, God, I do this for you and I do that for you and I do this for you. But Jesus said, you didn't know me. But, 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 but Jesus, we cast out demons in your name. We, we prophesied. We, we did miracles. Sorry, guys. I didn't know you. We didn't reestablish connection. See, the altar is where you establish connection with God. The altar is where you invite his presence like King David said in Psalm 139 he said god search me o god and find anything in me that offends you search the depths of who i am god and point out if there's anything in me o god that's not right shift it up change it around do something about it i'm not okay with it being like that god it's an altar so where's your altar If I asked you where your keys were, well, all the women would know where their keys are. <laughs> Most of the blokes have no idea. <laughs> if I, for the blokes, if I asked you where your car was, if I asked you where your shed was, you'd know. But where's your altar? Where's that place you go to surrender and lay your life down before God and ask Him to speak to you in the, the innermost parts of your being? Where's your place of absolute surrender where, where you go out of your way frequently to intentionally put to death the agendas the, and the opinions and the desires of your flesh nature? Oh, I did that when I got saved, Pastor Rick. Really? You're telling me that they don't try and come back and sneak in every now and then? You're trying to tell me that I gave my life to Jesus in 1972 and from that point on you've been per... Tell me your secret because I ain't there. Tell me how you got that going on because I've never met anybody who's been able to do that. I find for me, i got to build an altar every day. i got to build an altar in every season. I have to build a fresh altar. When I've walked through the valley of the shadow of death and I've come out the other side, I've got to build another altar that says, God, I need you. I've walked into a new promise. But God, I need you in this next season. Oh God, I can't do this next stage of my life without you. God, I'm going, from, I'm going from 20 to 30 to 40 to 50. To, I'm going from a parent to a grandparent. I'm going from a single person to a married person. I'm going from a married person to a single person. Yeah. Yeah. God, I need a fresh altar. I need a fresh place for your fire to fall and come again and do a new work in my life because God, I knew you once, but I've gone a bit cold on the inside. Living off yesterday's revelation. Build an altar. See, your altar is the place where you give God permission to alter you. So you can believe in God, but never give Him an altar. Oh God, I believe in you. I'm going to go to heaven when I die one day. don't ask me to change don't ask me to shift don't ask me to grow I'm happy here in my comfort zone Just change the young people Lord change the pastor he, you know the pastor he needs to change doesn't he Oh, the board and the elders and the leadership, oh, they all need to change, God. (laughs) Come on, where's your altar? Where's your place where you go, God, I'm seeking your face and I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, reveal, reveal. Where is it, Holy Spirit? What do you want me to shoot today? What do you want me to knife today? What am I going to set death to today that's within my personality, that's within my heart, that's within my perspective of life that is not your kingdom come and your will be done? time we out of here today, Pastor on. Pretty soon, pretty soon. I've got so many altars I've built in my life and I've got so many stories written down to talk to you about but I don't think you need to hear my story I think it's a moment right now to say God where is that word applicable for me come on would we stand together You know, one of the tensions as a, as a visiting speaker in a church is that you never really want it to be about what you have to say. You always want it to be about the voice of God for the people. And many of you won't know me or our story. I could sit with you for hour after hour after hour and share with you pain, the struggles, the miracles, the healings that have happened in my own world where God has shifted us and sometimes felt like he's backed us into a corner and you go, God, what am I going to do now? On the outside, this thing's fallen apart and the word throughout my life has always been build an altar, Rick, build an altar. Sometimes the altar has been the car with the worship CD on. Sometimes the altar has been when I was sick with an incurable disease. wasn't terminal, but it was incurable. And I couldn't even go to work. The altar was my bed that I couldn't get out of. Where I saw a miraculous provision from the hand of God. The, the altar is sometimes for me the piano where I used to sit and for hours I would worship God and just love on Him and say, God, I want to be like King David. I want to be like those that have followed you in the past. That were, I, I want to know your heart. I don't just want to know your hands. But whatever it is that is in your story, it doesn't matter what your story is. It doesn't matter if you don't have a car. It doesn't matter if you don't, have, don't know how to play the piano. It doesn't matter if you're not... Uh, in bed, sick with, an in, uh, with a disease. What matters is you just have to build the altar wherever you are. It's your altar, it's not mine. You look up the row next to you and see the beautiful people standing next to you. They don't get to build your altar. You get to build your altar. You're the one who has to present before your Father and say, God, this is my place of intentional surrender. What do you need to let die this morning? What do you need to lay down? Where, where have you been hurt and disappointed that you need to turn around and look at and go, because I'm in the purposes of God, He's going to work all that together for good. I've just got to learn to trust Him there. I know and love this church. I've watched this church from a distance. You guys are a significant player on the landscape of the kingdom of God. As a young boy in Horsham, 17, 18 years of age, when God was starting to get a hold of my life, I wanted to come and do Bible college here. It didn't work out that way, but but there was a drawing power to this house. And as I look out this morning, it's been built over the years and the generations, line upon line, precept upon precept. This is a place of great strength. But don't rest in the victories of yesterday. Build a new altar for the new season. Build a new altar for the new generation. Build a fresh altar for the fresh thing that God wants to do here. Come on, raise your hands across this place this morning. If you know what it is, you know what it is that the Holy Spirit is asking you to do this morning, come on, build an altar right where you stand this morning. Right where you stand and say, God, this is my altar today. Holy Spirit, I sense you drawing me to that thing. He's bringing things to people's minds right now. He's bringing unforgiveness to your mind. He's bringing disappointment to your mind. He's bringing pain that you're still walking through to your mind right now. And and you've got a justification for it, but God's saying, just let it go. Just, just... Put this thing to death, kill it. Put it. Get a knife out this morning. So that's it. Uh, this thing. See, the thing is, once you kill something, it can't come back. Once you put it to death, that's it. It doesn't resurrect. It's not the sin. It's not the pain that resurrects. It becomes a place of redemption. It becomes a place of fresh ministry. It becomes a place of fresh outpouring. And so, Father, I pray for this house today, and I prophetically declare, God, a fresh altar for a fresh season. God, as Elijah called. Down heaven upon the altar. Father, I pray today that a fresh fire would fall from heaven upon this house, God, upon the men and the women and the children and the youth of this house that God they would see you move in power. God, they would see you move in their families, God. They would see you move in their marriages. God, they would see you move, God, in their high schools and in their places of work. God, I pray today for a fresh sense of boldness, God, where we're not tied to the things of the past but we are set with our eyes towards heaven to where our help comes from and so God we pray for a fresh confidence for a fresh boldness to come from the Holy Spirit and we give you all the honour God in faith we step into it this morning, come on in faith step into it right now, in faith step into it right now say God it's a new day, it's a new day, we honour you Jesus we honour you Jesus come on say amen if you believe it Come on, shout amen if you believe it. Come on, say it again. Say amen. I agree, amen. Come on, let's give Him a great hand of praise this morning. Come on. I don't want you to clap, God. I want you to praise Him. Come on, don't just clap Him. Come on, from the depths of your heart, give Him your highest praise. Come on, 10 seconds, 15 seconds. Go, God, I give you my highest praise this morning. Come on, give Him your highest praise this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen, amen. Thank you, Pastor Zorn.